Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paul LeFevre. I'm here with my Ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. And today is Friday, 27 May, 2022. And uh, we're coming to you from an undisclosed location deep within Pineland. Today we have a guest, Chet Seacrest, uh, who is uh, once a a warrior like us, uh, who's in the Special Forces, also in the Civil Affairs, uh, also instrumental in, uh, in a lot of what civil affairs have been doing over the last decades or so. Uh, and amongst the other things that he does for the community, he is also a volunteer for the Honor and Warrior Foundation and the Weekend with Warriors Foundations, which is uh, basically a venue volunteer. So, uh, Chet, welcome to the Pinelander. Thank you. Great to be here. appreciate the opportunity to come talk with you guys. Yeah, Chad, um, you and I, we've talked in the past, um, you know, back in our heavy training days. Um, and one of the things that we talked about was, of course, the state of civil affairs. And, you know, it's always amazed me. I never served in civil affairs. It was it was kind of like, um, I don't know, back when I was in on active duty, it was kind of like the secret little place that, you know, people just didn't really talk about. But if you're an SF guy and you got over there, you know, Generally, they didn't, they didn't want to leave. Um, and and sort of the impossible mis- mission of civil affairs. I mean, I always looked at these guys, and I was just like, you know, really? I mean, you're, you're taking a few of these dudes, and you're going to drop them off where? And they're supposed to be doing what? And it just seemed like way too much uh, on the plate for uh, just a small team. Um, and, and it seemed to me they had to be extremely savvy. So I, you know, you and I used to have a lot of conversations about, well, how do you train these guys? I mean, how do you how do you get these guys to where you know they're not going to get themselves in, in a you know in a bad bind in some of these environments that they're in? Well, you know, um, a lot's changed from the time when 18 series initially uh, were the only active duty component. Um, you know, the average team had an senior 18 Fox E7, an 18 Charlie, an 18 Delta. And then our team commander was a senior captain who had already had a company command. Wow. So when you yeah. when you look at it across the board, um, in fact, just before I went to civil affairs, I had done the Joint Commission Observer assignment when the third group took it over for the 10th in the Balkans. And what people don't realize is that was a pure civil affairs assignment. Our team lived in a house in the community in the Republic of Serbia. And then two of us, an interpreter, we split our teams, worked different sectors. And our responsibility was to meet with all the local leaders, business leaders, political leaders, attend all the political conferences, uh, go to all the IO NGO meetings. We were the eyes and ears on the ground for the S4 commander. And so when you think about, you know, being savvy and where do the skills come from? Well, it comes from being on an SF team. And so the challenges when they went to bring in and create a new MOS out of it was they opened the door 
for hybrid teams for a couple of years where we had 11 Bravos, 12 Bravos, and 91 whiskeys working with SF guys, trying to share the knowledge and, you know, the method to the madness, if that makes sense. Hmm. Then uh, we didn't realize when they pulled the trigger, we'd be going from a group of guys that average 37, 38 years old with 17 or more years time in service to, you know, 20, a 21, 22, 23 year old that was just going to go through a, a civil affairs course at the time. It was a lot shorter than it is now. The course itself has matured, which has been a good thing. And they've done a, put a lot of effort into developing scenario-based training and exercises that, that teach them to think, to problem solve, to, to see beyond what they're looking at, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, and it was interesting as part of the evolution, if I, we did one little exercise where we had five teams for a week all going out to the same objectives, but the information they collected depended on the questions and their interactions with the populations at each location. And at the end of the week, all five teams prevent, presented five different problems. And we, we realized right up front, we had to have a mentor going with these teams to kind of teach them on the fly to course correct. Because if that wasn't done, it was kind of hard when they pulled the trigger because they built the brigade so fast that um, we had new people teaching new people. Mm. So uh, as an operations sergeant major for the 91st, um, we built that battalion from scratch. So literally everybody came fresh out of the course. We had one person on each team to start that had at least one prior deployment. Um, when 18 series had the position, we didn't have to spend a lot of time teaching people how to shoot, move, communicate, and conduct first aid because that was a natural skill set. But we realized quickly, yeah, we taught them civil affairs, but we didn't teach them the force protection piece in the course. And so we'd spend more time addressing the force protection side, less on the civil affairs side. They'd deploy for six months, come back. And we would basically break up the teams to build the next company in the battalion or in another battalion. And so, you know, my concern as time went on was there was an evolution of lack of experience, teaching lack of experience. Then you get people in senior positions. It makes you wonder what their actual experience base is to help mentor and develop those below, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, you know, for, and maybe we need to talk about some of the history here because, um, you know, I remember the 96 Civil Affairs Battalion. Uh, it, I believe it was a battalion. Yeah, it was a battalion. And it was, it, my recollection is it was the only active duty Civil Affairs Battalion in the entire United States Army. No, you're correct. And uh, at the time, I think there were six companies, and it was an all 18 series assignment except for the team leader, which was branch and material. So, but uh, which is why you had the knowledge and experience space, and the course was only six weeks long. Now, today, um, and, and that's why I want I want to do a rule. I want to do a fast jump. Today, what is the active duty civil affairs strength? What, what are we talking about? 
Uh, it's uh, 91st, 92nd, 96th, 97th, 90. It's a brigade and five battalions. Okay. I mean, that is a huge leap. Oh, absolutely. And and, not, and and I and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not just the army either. I mean, we've got this this whole this this whole civil affairs push, if you will. This this whole civil affairs is, you know, is is the end all, you know, thing that everybody wants to go to. That's happening well, see, in the, that's happening in the Marine Corps. It's happening in a lot in a lot of the other branches as well. So you really got this well, huge civil affairs sort of organization now. That's that's just multi-branched. Well, there's a huge bang for the buck with just a few people. And the more experience the people have, the more bang for the buck you're going to get. And, you know, we'd see that from the rotation to rotation. We'd have some teams get out and make tremendous thing happen. And then the next teams would rotate out and nothing would happen. So civil affairs is one of the few MOSs where I used to tell the guys, in the gals that um, hey, this is a proactive job. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. So if you think you're just going to show up and, you know, wait and answer questions, you're not going to be as successful or achieve as much. Whereas if you roll into a country and you start asserting yourself, you can make a lot of things happen and surprise the ambassador and the commanders that you're working for by opening doors, improving relationships and getting things done. So for those not familiar with the civil affairs, Chad, I mean, what what was the, you know, in a short sort of, what's the mission? I mean, what 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 is expected of these folks? The mission of civil affairs is to conduct civil affairs operations, basically between both the U.S. military and the host nation or other nations are working with. But we also work with host other nations in supporting them building relationships with their own population through medical and, and other civic action programs, uh, building schools, clinics, wells, setting up um, uh, for UConn for a number of years. We did the humanitarian demining operation where civil affairs team worked at the national level, basically teaching staff management, teaching them how to set up and run demining operations while two ODAs would run a basic demining course. So we also worked a lot with the ODAs and the other organizations, you know, for more synergistic bang for the buck. And then a lot of times the military commanders, they lack a face or a relationship with the civilian population around them. And, you know, having those people that can present themselves, how can I say it? I used to tell my guys, never introduce yourself by your rank, but by your name. You know, humanize yourself to the civilian population you're working with because you want to build a relationship because with a good relationship comes information that can be helpful and protective, if you know what I mean. And so that also played a key role is a lot of times we might be denied access to an area for whatever reason, but the IOs and NGOs working in the area we could talk to. And through building relationships, we can begin to identify what's happening in areas we don't have on the ground visibility. Yeah. And then, you know, NSF, the joke was we have no money, but we can make things happen. Hmm. Well, we used to do that, too. We used to coordinate with the Syngio's got gas. This one has a truck. This one needs to move something. So we started running like little resource meetings. 
or if we were working with the say the CVs and they were doing a highway project, we'd ask the commander if on their days off, they'd be willing to just grade some of the roads in the local village. It's about building relationships. And so we set those things up, which changed the atmosphere and the dynamics for the guys actually working on the ground because the CVs actually did that in Albania. And after they did that, the rest of their deployment, the locals would bring them out drinking foods when they were working. So civil affairs can have a big impact in both uh, gaining access to denied areas and also giving the ground truth information on events that are occurring. Um, when I was a JCO, Joint Commission Observer, and it was a pure civil affairs job, uh, there was a grenade attack the town south. as They reported it as Muslim on Serb violence. They asked us to go down and have a chat. It was uh, the girl's boyfriend was told by the father to stay away, and he put a grenade under his car. So I had nothing to do with it. So civil affairs became a great tool for improving quality of life for both host nation individuals, improving the relationship between the host nation and their population, as well as the U.S. government that's working in the area. So the, you know, the challenges that I uh, saw in this was you wanted to get a lot bigger uh, because you were impressed with what the small organization could do. And you're drawn from a highly uh, talented, mature, experienced pool of folks that are able to do this. And they were looking. They were probably looking at that battalion, going, "Man, we could, we could, like, with a couple of brigades of these guys, you know, we could change the world." But the but the problem came in the fact that that pool wasn't big enough. Well, it wasn't that as much as the end user we were supporting. A lot of commands didn't know how to employ civil affairs as a tool. They That's lacked true. the understanding Absolutely. of how to use CA and psyops to their advantage. Yeah, and you still have, uh, and I know for a fact, because I was a team sergeant, I st we still didn't know how to do that. And teams still don't know how to do that. They fumble around uh, with that. Like, the, First off, they don't even know what the mission is. Two, they don't see uh, the benefit and the reach of civil affairs. And so you have a big disconnect. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. See, and then they actually, you had one active component brigade that supported SOF, then they started to stand up another brigade, and I think they actually stood up two battalions for the regular army before they ended up shutting them down within a couple of years. Was that a, was that a hood? Yeah, one well, was at hood. Okay. And then they also had a battalion at Bragg too. Ah. But uh, so I thought it was a great idea because I, originally the ninety six supported primarily USASOC, SOCOM. And those type of operations, but then as it became more successful and people were seeing the benefit for engaging these guys, I think the big thing was when 60 Minutes did a piece on the civil affairs, SF civil affairs in Afghanistan when they first went in, that really launched. Hey, let's let's make this bigger. Ah, uh, the publicity. Interesting. So anyway, you were involved in training um, in this huge buildup of civil affairs and what are some of the challenges that you, that you ran into and how did you, how did you deal with those? 
Can you say that again? Well, I was wondering because, I mean, you know, I remember when SF, um, you know, we had the big um, buildup in SF. I, I, re I remember that time. That was the time that I joined SF. Uh, shortly thereafter, Civil Affairs decides to do the same thing. They decided that it was a huge buildup. Obviously, there were some growing pains involved in that. And, oh, I was, I was, and I was wondering kind of like, you know, how did you how did you face some of those growing pains? Well, you know, it was difficult, like anything that's new. Um, some of the people in charge wanted to pull in people they trusted, so to speak, or worked with before that might not necessarily had any experience with civil affairs. Uh, one of the first command star majors literally came over. He was a E8 MP. They let him reclass in 89. And then he was one of the first brigade or battalion CSMs that Never attended the training, never served on the civil affairs team, but he was now one of the people sitting into these training meetings, which wasn't helping us. Mm. Um, we had some other people that were really good that uh, some 11 Bravos that reclass that were on teams when there's SF guys that had the knowledge and experience that were critical in making some some good changes in the course to keep it moving in the direction it needed to go primarily in helping the younger people it's, it's kind of social maturity comes with time for most people would that be a fair assessment absolutely so you get a lot of young people that join the army and it's the first time they're really engaging in people and now we're going to ask them to walk into an ambassador's office or a commanding general's office or a minister of defense and provide a briefing and answer questions. And to a lot of people, it's, it's a human, it's a huge intimidation factor. So it was trying to develop training and help these people see themselves as something different than just a staff sergeant. You know, that's why I, I kept trying to say to my, my, my people, I said, listen, when you go out the door, Pretend the ambassador, whoever you're meeting, is your 70-year-old your neighbor because you always project a good image when you're talking to them. You feel comfortable. You feel relaxed. And it shows. That's the image you need to project when you meet these people if you want them to listen to you. I said, otherwise, if you bow your head down and weakly shake their hand, there's nothing coming out of your mouth no matter how good they're going to listen to. So the challenge was trying to build some of the – Tools and techniques, I'll call it, um, uh, at a social maturity level. And then as time went on, too, it's to get them to – regular Army trains between the lines. But civil affairs is an outside-the-lines venue to operate in. And so we would try to set up events where, like, maybe the host nation had captured somebody and was going to commit a humanitarian rights violation in front of the team. What does the team do? So we were trying to – we let them make their mistakes, good or bad, and then we would try to help them understand different ways that they could handle it to prevent a human rights violation from occurring without losing face and stuff like that. So that became the bigger challenge on the bigger picture because – we could teach a language. We can teach, you know, basics about customs and cultures and interactions and stuff like that. They had a really good block on negotiations, which was very helpful. But the actual interaction part and putting it together 
training events that required creative thinking to get information to piece the puzzle so they can have a picture at the end was the biggest challenge that, you know, took a while to get to where it's at. The human engagement. I mean, um, I think a lot of people today um, are recognizing the fact that there needs to be more training done on just the KLE, if you will. Okay, the the, the, the interaction, the being able to go into a room, uh, interact with others, uh, be socially astute, uh, read the room, uh, understand the appropriate responses, um, understanding the, the networks and the relationships. Um, this is really kind of what I, what I'm hearing from you is kind of the thing that you really want to focus on with these young CA guys because that just takes time. And these younger generations, I think, uh, because of technology, um, are not really thrown out there in those type of environments that much because it's so easy to be entertained with your smartphone or whatever gadget you have. Is, is that... Is that is that an accurate assessment? No, you, you hit it right on the head. It's all those little things, assessing the room, looking what's around you, all, all the things that it's kind of hard to put on a PowerPoint slide. You got to work through it to build the skill. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sitting so there thinking, it, you know, you're you're working with you know the twenty year old folks, uh, twenty twenty five, whatever. I mean, I, it, at that age, I'm not sure if I was. I certainly wasn't able to do those those types of things uh, at, at a very limited ability. Um, but I'm, I'm sitting there thinking that that has got to be challenging to try well, to, it is. to try to bring this guy up to a certain level that I didn't probably reach until I was in my forties. Well, it's like we had we um we hired Dave Young who uh, works for Vistular to come and teach a concealed carry course to our guys. But he's a former Marine. He's been in law enforcement. Um, but he set up the training. It was the key Ali was the key exercise and we videotape everything and then we play it back. So everybody can see, you know, what they did wrong and what they did right. But what he emphasized was like, when you walk into the room, it's like, you're also wanting to determine who else is carrying concealed in that room, what postures are going to indicate, you know, they might be maneuvering to get to, you know, their weapon. So is the meeting going South and, and that was like early on. So we, we captured some of those techniques that he was trying, he added and we kept collecting those to put them to make the training more and more. So we're, guys would look around the room like they're, they're in Afghanistan, they're meeting in a small village, but Hey, this guy's got a, a Rolex on a satellite radio in the corner. You know, he's, he's not actually a low level guy. He's a mid level guy. So, the things you talk about, assessing the room. See, that takes time, but it takes um, having the right mentors present to develop the skill set. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And I think I think they need to work more with the SF teams and the pre-deployment cycles when they're doing you know joint uh, operations, just to improve their skill sets and capabilities at the same time. Yeah, I mean the uh, so Chet, something that uh, I'm kind of hearing is uh, really what we run into 
uh, in any uh, service-related school is, and I don't want to jump on the bandwagon and say, hey, the pool of guys we're drawing from is socially less switched on. But could I say they're socially less switched on? I mean, could I just say that like an old guy? And our social you know, skills are just they're, not there. The thing about it is they have skills that we do. I mean, listen, it's not like they're – they have skills that we didn't, that we don't possess. That's true. Um, so I'm not trying to uh, degrade. It is just a different generation, and their yeah. skill sets are just different. My daughter helps me with my cell phone <laughs> yes. and my uh, laptop. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah. But you have to help her in a, in a, in a room, yeah. uh, a party. Yes. I mean, listen, I, you know, I don't know. You know you know, I went Paul's there. Right. <laughs> well, the Civil Affairs the Assessment Selection Program <laughs> has evolved tremendously from the, the first days because in, initially there really wasn't one. It was called, almost like just a quick records review and scan or we got the, mm. the recycle from the x-ray program. But it, it's evolved tremendously. And I think Paul made a key point is that some of these kids coming, they also have – we have some highly educated people with like master's degrees, right. both multiple languages, things like that, that, you know, brings a value added to civil affairs that, okay, he's weak over here, but you know what? We can work with him on that, but we get more bang on this. So, you know, we've, we, we they're try getting, to keep this. Better, getting better at sort of a holistic evaluation of where this guy can best, you know, serve. Oh the, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, well, 10 years ago, we had a lot of native speakers that were, you know, from those countries. <laughs> so we had, like, our own in-house little intel people. Hey, you ever – oh, yeah, I lived in that town. This is who you talk to. But uh, so, so that helped out. And then I also found, too, we were getting a lot of highly educated people that were coming in to pay off student debt and then mm -hmm. stepping out or going OCS. And um, – we sucked all those people up as well because even though they might have stayed for a tour, they still built and shared their knowledge around that built others. And ultimately over time, that's what you want to achieve. You know, through each deployment, everybody's collecting different tools and techniques, and then hopefully they're sharing them. But, uh, you know, it's, I think how they manage and assign people can be an issue because, um, you might get somebody that only went on a couple deployments, but happened to catch the right promotion schedule and bam, bam, bam. Now he's way up there. He really lacks the knowledge and ability to even mentor anybody in this company. Yeah. And these, and these yeah. are, these are, I mean, these are relatively small teams. So to me, it's like the, the team interaction is even more important. I mean, these guys have got to be, on the same wavelength. They've got to trust one another. They've got to be all uh, pulling their weight. You, you can't afford, oh, yeah. in a small team, you can't afford to have one guy that's just you know not not on the program. Um, we actually left our engineer behind. We went to, I'll just say country A. He didn't perform well. And we we're getting ready to go to another country, Azerbaijan, and we were going to be the first U.S. military assets ever into that country as part of humanitarian demining. We didn't take them with us, and we didn't backfill them. We just left them behind. Wow, yeah. The engineer. Yeah. 
the engineer. On a dune mining. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, so, you um, know, um, yeah, I mean, well, is the medic cross-trained on that? <laughs> well, all of us attended, the, they sent us to the demining program, so all of us went through the program. But we were teaching staff management, so the skill sets required it. Teaching staff management really didn't matter for an 18 Charlie. But, yeah, they're, they're four-person teams, and yeah. um, sometimes you'll split the deployment. So, like myself and the commander went the first 30 days to set the set the conditions for the other two guys to come and relieve us the last 30 days. Um, and each team's got different personality dynamics. And if you, if you get a good team leader that understands the personalities, then when you get in the country, you try to match those personalities with the, the people or the areas they're working in. Rank doesn't become an issue. But part of it trickled in from the regular army. You know, wanting to still be a platoon sergeant or something. Hey, uh, hey Chad, so I had a, uh, I wanted to, to go here too. So I was privileged to serve with the 96 CA back in uh, 2003. And uh, basically, I just remember, uh, you know, so, some of these issues you're talking about, uh, I remember being on a, the CA team with, uh, I think it was an a MP captain, and then three other guys that had been in other groups. So that was the kind of CA I knew. Is uh, It was like, hey, you just happened to come down on orders, and I was an 18 Charlie at the time. And uh, unfortunately, I thought, you know, initially this is going to be bad, but then I was attached to a 10th group, and we went to Iraq. So that was good. Uh, but where I was going with this is uh, some guys may not know what, CA really does, and I'm not sure what they do. I'm pretty sure what they do now, but uh, I don't know if you could just kind of elaborate on a couple of those missions, just so there's some guys out there that may not sh be sure what CA does. Okay, it was like uh, I was in CA the same time you were, and my team also supported 10th Group in the North. And so basically what we did is, is you know, the, the company we were supporting was moving through different areas, we were immediately meeting with the local leadership representatives and doing rapid assessments towards um, bringing aid and relief in to those areas as we continue to move forward towards, you know, setting some basic type of civil structure up. And see, that's another thing, too. It's the civil affairs teams, especially in a, in a conflict area, you want to identify who the key players are. Because at some point, you're going to need locals to take charge. And, and so we try to identify the right key players. Sometimes we're wrong. And, um, you know, convey that up through the chain of command so they can assist uh, higher command in setting up some type of civilian infrastructure. But we're the ones out there trying to identify and vet those people. At the same time, we're, we're conducting assessments on um, the infrastructure, the food supplies, the medical supplies, the healthcare capabilities, uh, even the animals, because you know, animals are a huge thing in many, many countries. Yeah, you know, they're not just the food on the table. They're, you know, they plow the fields. They're used for barter and all kinds of things. So, um, running veterinary programs because each each special forces group and civil affairs has a veterinarian assigned. Yeah, which. Um, 
So that's uh, on that note too. When uh, in Iraq, uh, and I, I know we've seen each other going walking down the hallway, but uh, our team, um, I was around teams and, and also National Guard CA that had like these, uh, you know, doctors and veterinarians, and uh, you know, the National Guard they have these other exorbitant types of jobs that uh, I don't know if exorbitant's the right word, but. They, they can they uh, they bring those uh, resources and skills, whereas you know ours is more you know uh, our box cutter type of skill sets. But I remember the uh, this had such a, a an effect on the tribe we were working with in Iraq. Just you know helping their uh, you having a vet uh, yeah having a yeah. vet there yeah. you know checking out their cows Huge. and maybe you know they had uh, I don't remember the specific issues. Uh, I wish I did. Sometimes my brain doesn't work. Maybe a Biden moment here. But uh, just how the guys could just check out the cows, help out some of the calves to be born, stuff like stuff like that. And it made, it made a big inroads into uh, the local tribe. And, uh, I mean, just one just one idea. Yeah, one I, had, I hadn't even, even thought about that until Chet mentioned it, which is the fact that, you know, a lot of times in conflict, right, I mean, you're removing one uh, – <laughs> government and there's a huge vacuum that's left in the wake of that and you've got to fill that otherwise you know you're not going to be winning the hearts and minds very very quickly there um even a bad government is providing some service yeah um and if you take away what people are relying on um even the power i mean we had issues like that i remember iraq i mean it was just they had problems even just getting the you know to get the power and the water to run um Oh, yeah, they'll love you forever if you do that. Yeah, you know, hearts can, and minds. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you can get, if you can at least have the, you know, the the lights on and the water running and think just basic services, I mean, um, they're happy. Yep. Now, remember I said civil affairs is a proactive job. You can get out of it what you put into it. Yeah. It's, um, there was a reserve element. It can be I've had a hit or miss. They had a vet on staff. He did nothing for his six month rotation. Then he left the next vet came in and he was eager and he actually set up, he got with the department of agriculture and help improve their dairy production program mm. just by just doing some basic stuff and just helping them out and providing some classes. So here, you know, sometimes you have people with skills that want to use it and make things happen. And sometimes you don't. So that's why, you know, I tell everybody this is the best. I, I went to more countries and I shot more bullets mm. in civil affairs than I ever did on in, in SF in 20 years. Mm. And I, I tell people I had more job satisfaction because I actually left seeing something done. Yeah. I can see the results from my efforts. This improved, you know, or that was done or this information came out that led to this. And I think I enjoyed that in civil affairs. And that's why I would, would tell the men and women, I said, listen, you can make so much happen. I said, you know, you won't be the first E6 briefing a minister of defense or agriculture or business in another country and have that country make a change because of what you say. Mm. And I mean, that's, that's overwhelming for some young person to think that they could have that type of effect, but they can. Yeah, it has, uh, it has an impact that is, uh, uh, you know, most people, like like we, you said earlier, uh, teams think kinetics, 
they think of, you know, the raid blowing the door off the hinge. Oh, that's all, that's uh, all sexy. But, but they don't think of, hey, you know, there's a lot uh, involved with, uh, you know, better in the foxhole. All right. Uh, and then that's a part of uh, special operations. Most guys, they, just, they don't want to talk about, they don't understand. You know, we mock what we don't understand. And and uh, so, or it's too much work. Or yeah, too much work. It's not. It's not fun. You're yeah, just, if you're not actually not like a, blowing a door off a hinge, you think, well, that's not yeah. really there's, uh, there's, viable. There's, or there's not a uh, there's not a civil affairs video game for a reason. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> no. it just you know you're not you're yeah. going to get the first you know the first person shooter game. You know, you're, you're probably yeah. not going to get the uh, the KLE <laughs> video game. You know, yeah. No, they t- they tried some computer scenarios for training. There was a couple decent ones out there, but uh, not many. But you oh, know what was strange was, even as an eighteen series in CA, the other eighteen series we supported looked at us differently. I couldn't understand that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, uh, I'll just out myself. When I got orders for CA, I was I thought, wow, you my know, life is what, in. yeah, my life's over. What did I do? But it, it uh, really opened my, the aperture uh, that I had as far as, like, you know, what we do. What we do as a, as a unit, uh, as a regiment. And not only that, but uh, when it comes to uh, foreign internal defense, uh, counterinsurgency, sp- uh, specifically in, that, in those types of missions, uh, you, you, there's an enormous component of civil affairs in, in COIN. And if you don't understand oh, absolutely. that, if you don't understand that, you're, you're nonplussed. And, and we're going to, especially, God help us, if somebody at the top doesn't understand that, then we're in trouble. It's not just running around decapitating people and doing strikes. It is, uh, there's a huge uh, CA component that has to be, you know, has well, to be you know, underway. To me, to me, you know, that's what Chet was really kind of, um, you know, touching on. There's a certain maturity level that is required of the more... Uh, experienced, more intricate, more uh, cerebral type of work that the soft community has to be engaged in. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but listen, I mean, a trigger puller, you, there are a dime a dozen. Sure. Um, I can always find another trigger puller, dude. It's just, it's you're not special, um, and you can be a damn good shot. And guess what? There's another damn good shot right behind you that wants your wants your slot. Um, you have to be able to do some of the, 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 the more, the, the tougher work, if you will. Um, otherwise, you're going to, you know, thank God there's a bunch of trigger pullers, but that's not really, you're not, you're not winning. Doing yeah, that. we have to set the conditions for the trigger pulling. Y- yeah. And you don't want to be having to continually have to shoot people. You're not yeah. winning if you're doing that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, you know, we used to focus on the term full spectrum operations and yeah, you went, it got away. That one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, and it broke down to, like you guys said, you know, we're just, uh, we're just doing the direct action, but then, you know, Paul just mentioned it after the bullets are done. Yeah. What do you got? What's the second, what is the second and third order effect yeah. that either you're making worse or we're going to make better? Yeah, exactly. And it, Here's a quick vignette from we had. Uh, I used to tell my guys, I'm proactive. I said, when you go to brief these colonels, don't tell them what you can do, tell them what you're going to do for them. Mm. Just you know, remove any ambiguity because he probably isn't going to know anyway. So just say, hey, sir, 
this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And nine times out of 10, they'll say, yeah, do it. Yeah, I had a team and tell the battalion commander, hey, this is what we're doing. We're tying funding for projects, the safety and security of locals and host nation force and, our, and us. If there's an incident, we're letting you know, sir, we're not going to fund the project until they out that person. First incident, they stopped all the funding. Week later, they coughed the guy up. For the rest of that deployment, they maintained that standard. All attacks stopped in their sector. And then when they left, the next team came in. I think it was a reserve team. And, oh, you want money for a well? Here you go. Oh, you want money for a school? Here you go. Tied nothing together. And see, that's that was the – we were on and off, on and off throughout everything. Instead of staying on to achieve an end state, um, I think that hurt us in the long run. But I thought as a vignette, telling people, listen, if you set a, a consequence and a standard to achieve something, you're more than likely to get it than if you don't. You'll get the opposite effect. If you're just going to roll into a country, and I've seen it many times where we roll in and the embassy said they've already paid $1.2 million for a well and we drive to the location and there's nothing there yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the way a lot of that aid works. I mean, we all know that. Um, hey, besides besides what we've been talking about, CEA, I mean, you're, you're involved in a lot of things. Um, and we kind of like touching on those things here at the, uh, the Pine Lander. But uh, let's talk about some of your volunteer work you do, Chad. I mean, it's some pretty exciting stuff. Oh, yeah. You know what? I was approached. Um, it was, it, the Honor and Valor Foundation. They're headquartered out here at the lake, and the guy that runs it's a it's a contractor, and he came out to give me some quotes on my on the work on the house because I have a house in the lake, and um, you guys are invited out any time, by the way. Oh, excellent. And um, I'll, be, I'll be getting that address. So he, <laughs> he said what they like to do, and they you know they do hunting trips and stuff like that. Well, I have a, a jet boat, a jet ski, paddleboards, kayaks, and then they help me get some more, and they actually help add like 12 by 25 onto my pier, you know? And um, so I got with army community services. You see, I learned a couple things as a civilian. I couldn't just host an active duty family. I had to be associated because I wanted to do something. And um, army community services from Fort Bragg came out to my house. They checked it out. They gave me the thumbs up and then, they started putting my information out to the Warrior Transition Battalion. And then I started getting groups of people out um, that were undergoing different types of care for whatever. Some were being separated for medical. But most of those men and women, they just come in in the morning, they sit around all day, or they go to their appointments. They do nothing. And it was like, I want to say the second weekend I had uh, – Sky getting put out at the 18-year mark, 2,000, a flight medic with 2,000 hours of flight time in country. And um, when they left, his three little girls said to me, this is the most fun we've had as a family in years. I was like, are you kidding me? But it, it just hit me so hard. Like, man, we're really not providing a lot to our troops. And um in a way of just stress management, or if you look at a lot of these nonprofits, and this is just my opinion, you know, they offer a lot of events just for the soldier. Well, who do the soldiers come home to? The families, to their wives and their kids or their husbands. 
But um, and they need to make some good time together. So when they come out here, they can show up anytime they want, and I don't make them leave. I don't want to create any stress because I've had some people come from the psych ward to my house. Mm. And um, so I've had a few say I've, I've done some work. I've got extra rooms. It's just me at the house. I got plenty of floor space. So people stay late. They can stay the night and uh, doing something now with the weekends with warriors. And they're a lot larger organization and they set up a, a they work with NASCAR, get pit passes for guys They get concert things and they set up other other types of events that allow brothers to talk to brothers just to have somebody that they can relate to whether it's just a barbecue and some beers and i'm gonna be sponsoring an event with them here in a couple weeks at the house if you guys want to come out in fact uh there's a couple chapters from the sf brothers motorcycle club gonna have some people come out too and um you know, hopefully they'll check it out and want to come out more during the summer because, uh, you know, the best therapy is just a smile. Man, you, know, that, you know, I know I know where you're at down there, and I'll be honest with you. That is, like, super laid back. Oh, uh, the I entrance mean, to the state park is six houses past me. Mm-hmm. So if people want to walk the trails, they can do that. I've got extra bicycles. It's it's mid-thigh deep at the end of the pier so kids don't have to worry about going underwater. But, uh, yeah, I encourage you all to come out. You know, bring your families, bring some friends, bring well, some burger and dogs. Awesome. Awesome. I, think it's, I think it's great that you're doing stuff like that. I mean, we, uh, we, we, we've had uh, some other folks that are uh, like-minded as far as trying to give back to the community. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking, well, this is my fourth year. Yeah, the Marines have provided me the best entertainment so far. <laughs> nice. But um, what's the story? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're not too far. You're not too far from Lejeune. Yeah. No, I. You know, listen. I've I've been up to Pendleton. I've extended it to any service members that want to come out. And, you know, so I actually had a platoon, and uh, good thing one of the NCOs took charge, so I didn't have to do anything. They had a built-in babysitter, so I was good. Awesome. But um, you know, I encourage more people to be what I call a venue volunteer. Man, if you're going out on a boat and you got an extra seat or two, take somebody. Yeah. So who uh, who who should someone contact if they want to if they want to participate like like you're doing? You know what? They can give me a call, and because uh, I work with the marketing director of one company, he's also a former Army Air Force guy out in Iowa, and he sets up hunts and stuff. And then I've been talking with. Um, Grady, the guy, CEO of Weekends of Warriors, because he lives here in Wilmington. And he's he's networked into a lot of other guys that own like tire shops and other services. And so he connects people together to help each other, which I think is pretty cool also. Yeah, the networking. That's awesome. Networking, man. That's it. So you're just yeah, you're basically doing Obviously, uh, continuing on with your service. Warriors taking care of warriors, man. Isn't that what it's about? Warriors taking care of warriors. Oh, it's so easy. You know what? And when when, when the wives and the kids are out here and everybody's laughing, there's not a stressful bone in my body. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. That's it, man. What's on the What's on the future uh, Future for Chet, man? What What do you got? uh, What do you got on the horizon? You got any projects other than what you're doing right now? Or you know, I'm finishing up. been remodeling my house here for the last two years added an extra room so i'll have 
five bedrooms and four baths so I can, you know, we had discussed doing like marriage retreats mm. um, for some of the organizations because um, speaking of civil affairs, Sean O'Dowd, who runs Vigilant Combatives here in Southern Pines, he also sponsored a bunch of like 10 couples at Fort Fisher last year. And he was telling me that um, yeah, chaplain services has been cut in half. And he works with one of the third group chaplains and another chaplain on post to try to also continue to help. And he retired as a master sergeant of civil affairs. But um, there, there's places out there for people if they need a break. They're there. They just need to ask. I mean... People can come out. I mean, I've had people come out the next day. I don't care. Come on out. You know, my, my lake's 9,000 acres big. The pool's big enough. It'll fit everybody. Nice. But That's a really sweet little area down there, too. Yeah. Well, then I expect to see you all this summer. Oh, I'll definitely fact, I don't... be down there. I, and we, we ain't talked in a while. I mean, it's been years since, uh, since uh, we chatted last. Of course, we we're trying to work with some stuff with the, the civil affairs. But, um, I mean, you've absolutely really captured um, really really the, 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 the crux of the issue that a lot of these uh, units are running into now, which is really just the interaction, the building of the networks, the, you know, the, uh, the, the social astuteness, uh, just understanding what, what uh, is going on around you and trying to figure out how to, how to impact that and how to make a difference. Yeah, and say so I think moving forward, the number one challenge is we're not in conflict. So the ability to rotate people and get them all these experiences has been vastly reduced. So they're going to have to look at improving their, their training programs. Or when you went through, didn't you go through, um, didn't they send you to the coastal Carolinas for like a week of assessments and stuff? Yeah, I mean, we, we did a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, see, that's what they need to reinstitute is conduct uh, free assessments for all the, all the counties. It duplicates everything that they would do in country somewhere else, but they can do an environment where, A, they're not getting shot at, B, they speak English. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot but, yeah, it's a lot easier, and it gives them the, the, the same skill sets. that Or somebody laughed at me because we, we have a lot of foreign spouses, I said, why don't you bring your foreign spouses in, give her, have her play this role as an ambassador or, you know, a, an NGO head, and then tell your people, go talk to her. Yeah. You know, I mean, training doesn't have to cost anything, so it's about creativity. Yeah, you just got to be, uh, uh, you have to have an imagination. You got to understand what you want to achieve. And, and there's, you know, but the problem is a lot of times it's, um, I don't know. It's, I think it's the whole contracting apparatus. A lot of times it gets in the way. Um, you know, well, the, the problem from the last team that came out here, or actually I, I did talk to Brigade Sergeant Major a couple months ago because I tried to get him to send another team out here. And it's the off-post training packet has become ridiculous. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, insane. Yep. Well, Chet, I tell you what, I sure appreciate uh, – you uh, spending this time with us today, um, definitely insightful. Um, 
Absolutely. Thank you, sir. And a lot of fun. No, I appreciate the call. I think, you know, civil affairs is a, is a great tool. It's, it's got great opportunity to do great things, but, you know, Carpenter's only as good as not just the tools he has, but the ability to use them. Well said. Yes, sir. So is this your cell phone number? Yes, sir. Yeah. Now you got say, now you have the number oh, to, to the, the undisclosed. You've got location. the number to the G base. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a couple pics from here. Yeah, yes, absolutely sir. do that, Chet. Anyway, thanks, Chet. Appreciate it. We will definitely be in touch and uh I'm, I think I'm looking forward to a little absolutely. Looking like a road trip down to Chet. Yes. Yep. Spend some time on absolutely. the beach. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I appreciate the invite and uh you guys take care. Thanks, thanks Chet. Sir. All right, we uh, we hope you enjoyed today's uh, episode of the Pinelander podcast. Uh, if you enjoy our content and uh, unique perspective, we hope you'll check out our sponsors. Uh, Blacksmith Publishing has been serving the warrior class since 2013, almost 10 years now. Blacksmith Publishing has great titles written by warriors for warriors. So if you're looking for a great reference book or a, or a novel to read on the beach, uh, come on and, and check out blacksmithpublishing.com. You'll find a great title. Uh, if you're also looking for some cool Pinelander apparel that you can't find anywhere else, check out the General Store located at Pinelander1776.com. We're always adding interesting things. Uh, they've got a great selection of shirts, hats, jackets, and what have you. Tell them, uh, tell them Paul and Mike sent you. And until our next meeting, remember to keep your head on a swivel, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. Glory to Pineland and glory to resistance.